The mysteries of God refer to things that are beyond our natural understanding. It escapes human logic or rationale. It's something that we just really don't get. And, of course, the Bible is a mystery to those that are without. As we saw Jesus in Mark 4 pointing out, unless somebody's been converted and their sins forgiven, the, the, everything about the kingdom of God is a mystery. It's beyond their understanding. And it's not given to them to understand. But he says to believers, it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. And of course, it is to the extent that we have light and illumination that we've moved away from the darkness that envelops the world. The Bible says that before a person is saved, you know, they are in the kingdom of darkness and Satan is their father because he's the God of this world. There are no possible good outcomes in that arena of life. But the moment somebody is saved, becomes a believer, they're translated from that kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son, also known as the kingdom of light. And so being out of darkness means things aren't as much of a mystery to you as they were before. And it's given to you to know all of the mysteries of the kingdom, things that would have been uh, past your understanding at a previous time. It's given to you to know them. Now, there are 10 different mysteries that I've discovered in the New Testament. There are actually, I think, 11 or 12, but a couple of them are pretty much the same. There are 10 basic mysteries that God spells out and actually says uh, not to be ignorant of. In some instances, it's important for us not to have these things beyond our understanding. And so, you know, we've been going through each of these mysteries. Uh, we spent the first couple of Sundays in the series on the mystery of the plan of redemption. The next Sunday was the mystery of the uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then uh, there was a couple of Sundays in the mystery of godliness, which one translation calls the mystery of the Christian life. And there's much about the Christian life that is mysterious to a lot of people or beyond understanding. And uh, this Sunday, we're going to go to our fourth mystery, which very simply is the mystery of His will. The will of God for a person's life is, is often beyond their present understanding. One of the things that I most frequently hear over the decades of ministry is, Pastor, I just don't know what the will of God for my life is. I wish I knew what the will of God for my life is. Well, you know, it's given to you to know that mystery. There, the, you should know His will for you. And of course, uh, there's a way for that to occur. And that's the subject of today's message. And since the Holy Spirit is the revealer of the will of God, that is His ministry to us on this earth, then we're going to spend a lot of time on His ministry and how we tap into it to experience the revelation that we should be walking in. The will of God really has uh, two principal components, I guess. One would be the larger will of God for all believers of all ages. That's what's revealed to us by the Word of God. But there's much in the Word of God that's going to be a mystery to you that you're not really going to understand. You're not going to be able to grasp by human logic, uh, and especially as you're a younger, newer believer. As you mature in the Word, uh, less and less of the Word of God will be as mysterious because the Holy Spirit will be revealing it to you. And then there's the second arena of God's will for your life, which is more subjective than the first in that it has to do with God's will for your individual life. That's not always revealed in the Word. Many things are, obviously, uh, common to you as they are any believer that we find in the Word. But there are certain things about your life that you're not going to be able to determine the will of God you know, uh, from what we're told in the Bible. You're all unique, different people, human beings. There's no two alike. You all have different 
backgrounds, experiences of life growing up, things that have shaped your paradigm or view of life and reality. All of you are gifted naturally and spiritually differently. So that means there's going to be a different will of God for every believer, something that's not exactly true for other believers. And much of it's not going to ever be found in the Word. You know, the call of God on your life, you're not going to be able to find out, you know, read a Bible or read a book or read a uh, something somebody wrote, figure it out. You're not going to know what the call of God on your life is from the Word. You're not going to know uh, where to live, what your vocational pursuits may be or ministry shape might be. Much about His will for your life that's not in the Word, but it comes to you through the same source, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to reveal the will of God in the earth. And it begins with the written word by illuminating truth that you might not have seen there otherwise. That's also called the rhema of the Spirit. The rhema word. The word spoken by or illuminated by the Spirit. It's how faith comes, obviously, in Romans 10, 17. Uh, But it is the word of God that He quickens to your heart shows you uh, how to read it and understand it, uh, that brings that first level of revelation to you. And it's also the Holy Spirit that reveals the things to you about your life, about the word of, will of God that aren't in the Word, which is where a lot of people seem to get hung up. So, in talking about the Holy Spirit's ministry, I'm sure I'm going to be touching on things that are familiar to a lot of you, uh, because this is basic Bible doctrine for, uh, for our ministry. We are a Spirit-filled church, and uh, the Holy Spirit's ministry has been and always will be emphasized in this, in this church. So basically, you've probably heard some of these things. But we'll start as if you haven't, and refresh your memory to a few things, And along the way, I'm sure, we'll illuminate your understanding in certain areas. Because I don't believe I've ever listened to the Word of God preached that I didn't get something new out of it. But that needs to be your expectation. That's another sermon altogether. But at any rate, the Holy Spirit uh, is given to us to empower us in two ways. To live our own life and to be a vessel of ministry to the world around us. Before Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, He told the disciples that were gathered there uh, that they would be endued with power when the Holy Ghost was come upon them. You can read about this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If you've never read it before, read the first couple of chapters of Acts at a minimum, and you'll gain some insight to where we're going at the moment. But we're endued with power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. There are two kinds of power that we're endued with. One is a power that is not for you, but flows through you for the benefit of others that you might minister to. Because he says that you're going to be endued with power, and then you can become a witness for him. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, our Minneapolis, our Minnesota, our America, and the other uttermost parts of the earth. And to be an effective witness, he says you need to be endued with power first. You can always witness. The question is, how many people are you actually going to influence? How many people are actually going to receive the truth of what you say? And to be as effective as you want to be and as God wants you to be, this endowment of power needs to occur. The power that flows through you for the benefit of of others can be seen as the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. You know, whether it's the word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, uh, gifts of healing, working of miracles, special faith, uh, prophecy, tongues, interpretation, There are nine of them. These are things that will operate through you. 
when you're filled in the Holy Ghost. Because he said that's when they will operate, when you've been endued with power. Then these things will operate through you for someone else's benefit. You'll see things, you'll know things, your hands will have something in them when you lay them on the sick. Uh, you know, there'll be healing or miracles occur. There'll be signs confirming the preaching of the word, signs and miracles and wonders that will confirm the validity of what you're preaching when you're sharing the word. These are, these are a product of the Holy Spirit's ministry to your life, the endowment of power. The other part of his ministry has to do with revelation. This is his ministry to your life. It is also uh, defined as the endowment of power. But this power uh, is something that accrues to your benefit in terms of the way you live your life on this earth. This is the power of faith. And of course, faith can't come without revelation. And the Holy Spirit's ministry to your life is one of revelation. He is the revealer. We'll be seeing this uh, later in this message this morning. But as the revealer, you know, you can read the Word of God, know what the Word says in many areas, maybe even quote it. But it's never really been revealed to you. You've never understood uh, the truth of that. You know, some of the examples would be you believe that by the stripes of Jesus you're healed, but until you have heart illumination of the healing that God has provided, uh, you may struggle to see the benefit. Now, the gifts of healing can still operate. That's as the Spirit wills. Nothing to do with your faith. You're supposed to be living by faith. But faith means revelation has come. You can't live by faith in an area that has not been revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of people that know a lot of word, but they really don't believe it. And they may try to act on it. But it just becomes a, a legalistic, religious effort uh, to make their life acceptable to God. It has to be something that flows from the heart. And this is only going to come through the Holy Spirit's ministry of revelation. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, the Greek used for word there is not logos, the written word. It's rhema, the word spoken by the Spirit. That's how faith comes. So unless the Holy Spirit actually reveals something to you, you don't have the capacity to live by faith. You may say, yes, I choose to believe the Word, but until the, the Holy Spirit quickens that Word to your heart, then ah, you can try to accommodate that principle in your life, but it's going to be a religious effort to, you know, to adhere to that principle until it's born in your heart. And that's a product of the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm, a couple people are getting this. I'm, the rest of you can say amen every now and then. So basically, we see then that when the Holy Spirit reveals the word to us and faith comes, this is the exceeding greatness of power to usward who believe that we see referred to in Ephesians 1.19. To usward who believe, who've invested our belief system in the Word of God. An exceeding greatness of power to usward who have had this Word revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. Now we can believe it. Amen. You know, it's the same when you're trying to figure out what you're going to do vocationally. You may take an aptitude test. Uh, you may think you're smarter in this area and that area than, than you are anywhere else. So you choose a vocational endeavor along, along that area. Your whole life is going to be in a works program. It's going to be an effort to make yourself give 100% and to do what you're supposed to do unless it comes from your heart. 
But when the Lord shows you that he has gifted you and called you to work in a certain area, it's a whole different thing. Ministry becomes life at that point in time. You can't, somebody asked me how much I work and I said, well, I don't consider it work in the first place, but uh, you know, from the time I get up in the morning till the time I go to bed, because it's on my heart, it's on my mind. It's something that I'm always engaged with and doing because I'm called to do it. And when you, when you have had the Holy Spirit illuminate the call of God to your life, it transforms the way you live. I don't care what it is you're doing. I mean, it could be a housewife and a mom. It could be a taxi driver. It could be a lot of things. But when God shows you to do something, man, there is supernatural equipping to do it and a source of fulfillment and contentment that will never come any other way. And so we see there is an endowment of power when you receive the Holy Ghost, the kind of power that faith produces so you can elevate your success, your quality of life on this earth. And then there's a power that is to flow through you for the benefit of the world around you so people will see the reality of the gospel and make a decision to be saved. And so we understand that the more we have of the Holy Spirit, the more revelation we have available to us. Right? I mean, it is true that to be baptized in the Holy Spirit or to be filled with the Holy Spirit isn't a prerequisite for going to heaven. The baptism of regeneration, often referred to as the baptism of Christ, is where you're born again, made alive unto God. And you do experience the Holy Spirit by measure because He is the agent of sanctification. He's the one that remakes you in the spiritual arena, in the image and likeness of God, and makes you a fit temple that He wants to fill. But you're not going to be filled unless that's something you understand you need, you want, and you go after. So it's necessary to talk about some of the controversies that are generated by the baptism in the Holy Spirit. There are segments of Christianity that insist you get all you're going to get when you're born again. That's all there is to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yet we're going to see in the Word momentarily that time and time again, the Word says, have you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost since you believed? Meaning there's clearly an experience subsequent to the new birth called the baptism. That is an infilling that is becoming full to the overflowing, where you are so full of God, you begin to overflow uh, onto other people and begin to affect their life just by virtue of being around them. That's where God wants you to be. That's where you can be. Then there's a segment of Christianity, aside from the ones that say you get all you're going to get when you're born again, they say, no, it was just for the New Testament church. It was just for the startup of the New Testament church. We can't, we can't deny that much of the Bible talks about the baptism, so we're just going to focus it on the New Testament, startup of the New Testament church. Well, the Lord Jesus was revealed as having two principal prongs to his ministry by John the Baptist. Behold, the Lamb of God slain for the sin of the world, that is salvation, and he's the one who baptizes in the Holy Ghost and fire. There are two prongs to his ministry, not just one. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, so that means he's still baptizing in the Holy Ghost and fire today, and he still will be tomorrow. Amen. And why anybody would want to argue for a limitation of the power source and the revelation source within you, I don't know. If you can have him to the overflowing, why wouldn't anybody want him to the overflowing? I believe it's just one of those areas that have, haven't been enlightened to people. So hopefully, if there are people either streaming or in here that are, 
uh, are not filled with the Holy Ghost, no condemnation. Everybody in here was not filled with the Holy Ghost at one point in time. Uh, but, you know, it's a step you need to take, and I believe that will be an enlightenment that you receive. So then, um, that being the case, uh, I think the best thing to do is to establish a scriptural uh, basis for some of the things I've just said. Just look real quickly at uh, Acts chapter 8, if you would. Acts chapter 8, verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them, Philip the evangelist. And then if we drop down to verse 12, it says, When they believed... When they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Baptized. This is the baptism of regeneration. Uh, this is their being born again, according to most of the commentaries. And verse 14 says, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Verse 16, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, uh, verse 17, then laid their hands uh, on them and they received the Holy Ghost. So we see early in the book of Acts the precedent established that will be followed throughout the Word of God, that the, there is an, an event subsequent to the new birth that is vitally important to your life in God, and that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We'll look at one more to establish this truth in Acts chapter 19, verse 1. It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed to, through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, that meant these were people that were saved. They were followers of Jesus. They were disciples. And he asked them this question. He said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? That would indicate to me that you can be a believer, but not have received the Holy Ghost yet, right? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. So verse 6 says, when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So once again, we see that you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, you know, we also see something else of significance that you will see throughout the book of Acts and in the Word, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is always accompanied by speaking with tongues, and often uh, prophecy as well. You don't have to be a prophet to prophesy. We talked about this last Sunday. You can make proclamation of the Word of God under the anointing uh, uh, or the influence of the Holy Spirit, and it's prophecy. And it will do things in the Spirit you're not even aware of being done. But, you know, uh, tongues is also always, either directly or indirectly by inference, inference uh, accompanying the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Some people say, well, I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. I just have never gotten my prayer language. No. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is always accompanied by the evidence of tongues. Who needs the evidence? You need the evidence. I mean, God doesn't need the evidence. Your husband or wife doesn't need the evidence. I certainly don't want the evidence. You know, you need the evidence. And so this is the indicator to you that you have yielded to the indwelling presence and therefore ministry of the Holy Spirit when you are baptized in the Holy Ghost and when you speak with other tongues. Now, I want to make the connection at this point between tongues and the revelation of mysteries. We're in a series on mysteries. It's given unto us to know the mysteries of the kingdom. 
We're talking about the mystery of His will. So it's impossible to do that and not understand the place that tongues plays in the impartation of understanding by the Holy Spirit into the revelation of mysteries by the Holy Spirit. Tongues defined simply is a language that is not profitable to your understanding. Meaning it would be appropriate to say tongues is a mystery. And we'll see that later in the Word. But, uh, you know, it is, it is the way you begin accessing the revelation ministry of the Holy Spirit. It is a, a language that is not profitable to your understanding. It might be to somebody else's. That may be why the Lord has you speaking in a language you don't know what it is, but as was true on the day of Pentecost, there may be others present that hear you in their language, and that's a miracle from God that opens them to the truth of who He is. So there may be occasions when, you know, you're speaking a language that is known by someone else on this earth. But just as likely it is a language of angels, that's what we're told in the Word. It can be a language not spoken on this earth. But it's an angelic form of communication. But you know it as something that is not profitable to your natural understanding. So then, uh, how does this relate to the revelation of mysteries we need to have, and particularly the mystery of His will? Well, uh, if we wanted to turn to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2 says this, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto man or men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. So when you speak in tongues, you are speaking mysteries. Men in general, unless it happens to be for the benefit of someone that needs to hear this in their own language, men are not going to get it. You're speaking mysteries and you're speaking unto God. And it says in verse 4, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, edifieth himself. That means build yourself up. How are you going to, how does tongues build you up? Well, a couple of possibilities. I mean, you know, we know that in the first, the chapter of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is dealing with issues of church order. Many people have taken verses out of this chapter to say, see, you're not to use tongues. Uh, you know, only if there's an interpretation. Paul is talking about church order. He's saying, he says, I speak in tongues. I thank my God. Verse 18, I speak with tongues more than you all. He said, but when you're in church, be aware of the fact that there may be unlearned believers in there, people that don't know what the word has to say about this. And, you know, these, and, you know, the commentaries say that in the Corinthian church at this point in time, people were showing up trying to communicate in tongues, which was just ignorance born out of being young in the Lord. And Paul's saying, quit doing that. You're not speaking to men. You're speaking to God. Unless there happens to be, this happens to be one of the uh, nine gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, in which event it always has to be accompanied by interpretation so everybody there can benefit from what God said. But if it's not one of those office ministries that we see in 1 Corinthians 12, tongues is to be used as frequently as you can in a devotional sense. He said whoever uses tongues, hey, they are verily giving thanks well. You can worship God. You can, you know, it should be a regular feature of your devotional life. But just be mindful in a congregational setting where there are a lot of people you don't know. Paul said, no, you know, if we're going to have operation of the gifts of the Spirit, then it needs to be accompanied by interpretation. But he's surely not saying, 
Tongues isn't for today. It is. And it is the confirmation of your having received the infilling of the Spirit. So how does edification occur? Just by speaking in an unknown tongue. Well, maybe, you know, you're giving thanks well. Maybe that's producing some edification. But I think we get more insight into this by looking at um, Romans, if you would, chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit, capital S, or Holy Spirit, also helpeth our infirmities. And that's not talking about sickness or disease. Most other translations would, would say something to the effect, our weakness or our inability. So where is this particular weakness or inability? For we know, what, know not what we sh should pray for as we ought. So the weakness he's addressing is in our prayer life. We don't have natural knowledge of everything that God might have us pray for. We just don't. He might have you interceding for somebody on the other side of the world. You don't know. You have no natural knowledge of what you ought to pray for. And even if you knew one of your kids needed prayer, oftentimes you don't know exactly what they're doing. You don't know how to pray as you ought. And so he said, for this reason, the Spirit will help our inability by, by doing this. The Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. A couple of other translations say, intelligibly uttered. In other words, this is tongues. The Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You want God himself to make intercession for you? That's a possibility. When you pray in tongues, that's what's occurring. Verse 27 says, And he that searcheth the hearts know what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints. That's you. You don't have to be sainted by some organization. If you're born again, you're a saint. That's what the Word calls you. He maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. We just saw that he's going to make intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. In other words, intercession according to the will of God. It could be you. You could be the saint that is praying for yourself, that is being prayed about by the Spirit of God within you. And it's according to the will of God that this occurs. It could be for one of your kids. You don't know what saint it is, maybe. Maybe he'll show you. Sometimes you do. You get a glimpse of who you're praying for. You know who it is. But you may not. It may be for one of your kids. Maybe your husband, your wife. It may be your church. It may be, it could be anybody. It could be yourself. A lot of times it's for yourself. And it's being made according to the perfect will of God. Now, if you believe this, and verse 28 behind it, which says this, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. I think we misuse this verse a lot. and We toss it out there like it's for anybody at any point in time. Hey, it'll be all right, it'll be all right, you're a believer, everything's going to work for your good because you love God. You're following his purpose to the best of your ability. No, it starts with the conjunction and, meaning it's a continuation of the thought in verse 27, which says he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And now we can know that all things are going to work together for good because that's happening. Because you are making, allowing the Spirit of God to make intercession for you, for your kids, for whoever, according to the will of God, now you can know that all things are going to work together for your good. Do you see the connection? You can't take one out of context with the other. And that's why if you believe this, you're going to get edified. I mean, if you believe this, boy, it's going to turn you on. You're going to get edified. To know that all I have to do is to yield to the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Know that He's making intercession for me. 
according to the will of God for my life. Therefore, I can say all things are going to work together for good. And whatever I'm faced with at this moment, that brings edification. I've, I've used this example before. I'll use it again. But before ministry, uh, you probably remember my vocational pursuit was aviation. I had an air freight business. I was a pilot in the Air Force, got out, started an air freight business, did that for 10 years before ministry. And I was, you know, we were all over the upper Midwest and the South. And uh, I'd visit different stations along our route, you know, from time to time. And I had a little twin-engine prop that I'd, I'd used for that purpose. And I'd been in a meeting somewhere in Detroit, I believe. This occurred over Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, it was around midnight. It was stormy, and I lost an engine. Losing an engine is not a good thing if it's not stormy and if it's bright daylight. But, you know, you add those two other elements, and I was feeling pretty uptight at the moment. And, uh, you know, and so I started praying in the Spirit because I had learned at that point in my life that I could defuse fear uh, by leaning on the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So, but when I started praying in the Spirit, you know, I was, uh, I was uptight. And you're holding the yoke in your left hand, throttles in your right. And uh, on the yoke is a mic switch. And I had squeezed the mic switch while I'm praying in tongues. And Indianapolis Center calls me up and says, my call sign, which I still remember, 6661 Bravo, uh, said, uh, I didn't hear that last transmission. It was garbled. Say again. You know, <laughs> I'm praying in tongues all over the upper Midwest. But the effect of it was, uh, it brought peace to my heart. I felt edified. I was pumped. I knew this was going to be fun. I get to do a single engine night landing in weather. This is going to be cool. And so, you know, I felt good about it. That's what it will do. It will edify you. It'll drive fear right out, right out of wherever you are and enable you to function as you should under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so this is important to me that you understand. That you're not just, you know, sounding garbled like they thought I was in Indianapolis Center. It's not just mumbo-jumbo. It's not some kind of religious nonsense that's associated with snake handling, whatever else you may have heard. This is to be a daily part of Christian life and pursuit a daily part of it. So then, uh, you know, if you wanted to go from here to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, let's take a moment and do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, keeping in mind what we've just read. In verse 7, we read, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Well, he's talking about Speaking in tongues, praying in tongues. We just read in chapter 14, verse 2, that he who prays in tongues or speaks in tongues speaks mysteries unto God. So we're praying when we speak, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery when we're praying in tongues. And even the hidden wisdom. He said there are even times when you preach about things that God has hidden for the body of Christ, he doesn't hide things from you. He hides things for you. When you're positioned and able to manage whatever assignment he's given you, he said, which God ordained before the world into our glory, verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So he prayed out the plan of redemption I believe he had access to human vessels that cooperated even before the day of Pentecost to pray out things that the princes of this world didn't know for they couldn't interpret it. This is, this is significant. Satan and his demonic hosts do not have a clue what you're saying or what you're praying about when you pray in tongues. 
and therefore they can't set up roadblocks for your life. Now this is particularly related to the will of God for your life. You know, in Romans 8, we just read, He makes intercession for you according to the will of God. Well, the will of God, you know, for your life is to be kept between you and the Lord until you're old enough and mature enough in the Lord to deal with the warfare that the enemy's going to bring when it becomes public knowledge. And yet there are things that need to be prayed about regarding the will of God for your life before they can come to pass. This is what prayer does. The enemy is not omniscient. You need to realize that. Only God is. He doesn't know things unless you tell him or he can observe it from your behavior. And it's on that basis that he makes a determination of what your weaknesses are and then brings a thorn in your flesh at that point just as he did Paul. Paul didn't have a thorn in his spirit. He had a thorn in his flesh, his carnal nature, which I believe is a weakness that Satan identified through the words of his own mouth or through his behavior. It was a weakness Paul was struggling with, prayed to the Lord to deliver him from it three times. The Lord brought him a new point of revelation that we're not going to go into at this juncture. But what I want you to see is that's the way the enemy works. He's not omniscient. He watches what you do, listens to what you say. And he draws conclusions about the weaknesses in your life, your carnal nature, in your flesh. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't bring me a temptation to, you know, shoot up heroin or something. He knows that that's not something that I've ever yielded to or ever would. So that's not what he does to, you know, to bring something to me that's going to bring my life down. I don't, I don't really mean to get onto these rabbit trails, but you need to understand that he's not omniscient. He draws conclusions about what he hears you say and sees you do, and he makes assignments, demonic assignments, against your life in those areas. This is the way the unseen realm works. This is what the Bible tells us. Christianity isn't just a matter of adhering to good principles of life. It is a revelation of the unseen realm, and it is a supernatural experience that you're intended to have against a supernatural foe or enemy. And so when, when you understand these things, you'll give a lot more latitude to praying in the Holy Ghost than you may have in the past. Because you're praying out the will of God for your life, for those of your loved ones, for your church, for your nation. You don't know how far it's going, but it's something that needs to be prayed about, that needs to be addressed in the Spirit. God's using you every time you yield to the indwelling presence to do just that. Well, you know, uh, can't get too much further because of time limitations. I can tell you we're already going to be five, seven minutes over, so relax. Uh, I don't usually, I don't like to go over because I know it bothers some people, but, um, you know, five minutes isn't going to hurt you, and I need to finish this. Verse 9 says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 says, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for them that love Him. Wow. Now this is the will of God for your life and mine. The things that He's prepared for us. I hadn't seen or hadn't heard, neither has entered the heart of man. Meaning you're not going to get it from your philosophy professor. You're not going to get it from a well-meaning parent. What you're supposed to do with your life or what God's will for your life might be. you just not. Because He says... I hadn't seen it, ear hadn't heard it, neither has entered the heart of man. Most people have such a low estimation, thank you for that agreement, have such a low estimation of, of how God might use them that it's, it's sad. Because you know yourself really well. I know myself well. 
And it's easy to feel condemned about your failings because the enemy's going to make sure you get a lot of condemnation about your failings. But know where it's coming from. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. He doesn't condemn you. He redeems you. Amen. And so essentially, you know, uh, most of us feel like we're not, we're, not, we're not world changers waiting for a place to happen. But God says you are. He says you have such a low estimate of his will for your life. And once you see what he has for you, it changes your approach to life. You talk about lighting the fire, man. But he goes on to say, uh, nor ear heard, neither have entered the heart of things, the things, man, the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. This is his will for you. Verse 10 says, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, it is His ministry of revelation to you that we're talking about right now to dispel mysteries regarding the will of God for your life. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. And He reveals Him unto us by the Holy Spirit. You might think at this point, well, why do I not know what the will of God for me really is? He goes on to say in verse 12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. God doesn't want you in the dark. He hasn't hidden them from you. He's hidden them for you. But you have got to come into a revelation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, and understand the connection between tongues and ongoing revelation knowledge. So he says this in verse 13. Which things, what things? Things that God has prepared for them that love him, that I hadn't seen or hadn't heard, neither has entered the heart of man. These things. Which things also we speak. And if you stop there, you would say, how do I speak about something I don't even know what it is? Keep reading. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. That is tongues. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now verse 13 from the Amplified makes it a lot more clear, so put the Amplified on the screens. It says in the Amplified, we are setting these truths. What truths? Things regarding uh, the will of God for our life, that He's prepared for them that love Him. We're setting these truths forth in words, not taught by human wisdom, but by the Holy Spirit. So, this is prayer language. This is tongues. Combining and interpreting spiritual truth with spiritual language to those who possess the Holy Spirit. The first thing you got to know is that you have to possess the Holy Spirit. You need to be baptized in and filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you're a candidate for gaining the interpretation of spiritual truth from your own prayer language as the Spirit makes intercession for you according to the perfect will of God. I don't have the time to elaborate on this this morning, but I believe this is going to enlighten some of you. That this is going to bring illumination about how to receive truth regarding the will of God for your life. So it's not a mystery anymore. He's not going to reveal the whole will of God to you, one fell swoop. You couldn't handle it. He's not going to show you 50 years of his will for you. He might show you a little tidbit way down at the end of the line just to keep you stirred up and interested. But, you know, this is an ongoing process each and every day. I mean, he's interested in you knowing what his will is regarding your business appointments or your business meetings or your sales meetings next week, regarding the things you do with your children and with other people next week. He's interested in every aspect of your life. So this needs to be a daily event for us. You need to have a time, and I don't know how I would have survived. I can honestly say, uh, I don't know how I would have survived in ministry without this understanding. Because every good sermon I've ever gotten, every 
major problem I've ever solved has come by sitting in my, my place where I pray every day, praying in the Holy Spirit and listening and gaining the interpretation of what he's praying for. He's praying the perfect will of God for my life. And so when I pray in tongues and I set my sail in prayer, I'm looking to hear something in a certain area. You know, that's the way it works for me. And I'll get snapshots of truth. I'll get ideas about sermons that I need to preach. I'll see solutions to problems that I couldn't have dreamed up on my own. This is the way this has worked for me for these 40 years of ministry. And I can tell you, I don't know, I don't know, I'm sure that not much would have happened if I hadn't known this. And it is available to you each and every day of your life. It won't always just involve ministry. It'll involve your family. Involve your kids. It'll involve America. There, there are times you go into your prayer closet and you know you've got to pray about something. You don't know how to pray as you ought, so you start out praying in the Holy Ghost. And sometimes He'll give you a glimpse of what you're praying. If He doesn't give you a glimpse of what you're praying, it's none of your business. Just accept it that way. I lost a good friend that I, I knew in my heart was grounded in the Word, was a dynamic man of God and, you know, uh, faithful. And he died prematurely. And I, and I told the Lord, I need to know about this. I needed to know about this. And I prayed about that for weeks until finally he, he, he kind of rose up inside of me and said, stop praying about it. It's not your business. So it wasn't my business. There are things that are not your business that curiosity isn't a sufficient uh, reason to look for an answer. There are things that you're too young in the Lord yet at this point, even if you've been saved for 30 years, you're still too young to get to this place of revelation that you might not get. So there's some things you won't get, but things of eminence that, you know, a message I'm preaching in a week or two or a month, yeah, you know, that, that's important for me to know the mind of the Lord about that. Meetings I've got, you know, uh, things that are happening in my weekly unfolding life are imminent, and I, I usually get answers to those things. I usually get the interpretations of what's being prayed so that I can know what mark to set. You know, at some point I'll preach about pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This is how you make progress along the will of God for your life, and he'll help you set marks. He didn't say press toward the high calling of God. If you think you know what your high calling is, he said press toward marks. He will show you intermediate goals and objectives. As you pray in the Spirit, it'll come clear to you that you can press toward. Boy, there's a lot of stuff being put out right now, and if you've not ever heard this before, then I would suggest you draw this down from the archives and, and uh, listen to it again. Because this stuff is vital to the unfolding will of God for our life.